So it's going to be Romans chapter 16, verses 2 to 16, uh, for a sermon I've entitled, or 3 to 16, I'm sorry, for a sermon I've entitled, Co-Workers for the Cause of Christ. So we're going to pick it up in verse 3. And let's see how I do reading these names, if I pronounce them right. You know, I always tell Pastor Chris, when you're up here and you're reading these names and you don't know what they are, I said, sound confident, because no one's going to know whether you say them right or not. So here we go. Here's what Paul says as he closes out his letter. He says, Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who for my life risk their own necks, to whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Also greet the church that is in their house. Greet Eponidas, my beloved, who was the first convert to Christ from Asia. Greet Mary, who's worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junius, my kinsmen, my fellow prisoners, who are outstanding among the apostles, who also were in Christ before me. Greet Ampilitus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and Stechus, my beloved. Greet Apelles, the approved in Christ. Greet those who are in the household of Aristopolis. Greet Herodian, my kinsman. Greet those who are in the household of Narcissus, who are in the Lord. Greet Trophina and Trophosa, workers in the Lord. Greet Persis, the beloved, who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, a choice man in the Lord, also his mother and mine. Greet Asencrinus, uh, John, Hermas, uh, Patrobus, Hermes, and the brethren with them. Greet Philagoas, 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 there you go. And Junia, uh, Julia, Neris, and his uh, sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. You know, in the 50s, the number of uh, epic films were produced by Hollywood. Uh, among the greatest was Ben-Hur. Now, based on the 1880 book written by the former Civil War general, Lew Wallace, um, the movie won 11 Academy Awards, including Best Picture, Best Actor, Best Director, Best Cinematography, and Best Costumes. Now, Charlton Heston, who won as Best Actor, only got the role after it was turned down by Paul Newman, Burt Lancaster, and Rock Hudson. Now, the movie was a gamble by MGM uh, to save it from bankruptcy. It worked. The film cost $15 million to produce, the largest budget of any movie at the time, but it went on to gross $146 million. It's the second highest grossing film ever, only behind Gone with the Wind. Now, the story around, uh, revolves around Judah Ben-Hur, who uh, is from a noble family in Jerusalem living in uh, the days of Jesus. His childhood friend, Masella, has uh, been appointed as the new commander of the Roman garrison in order to put down uh, the uprisings in Judea. Now, though they're first happy to see each other, uh, they soon find themselves at odds over the policies of the Romans in the area. Judah wonders how Masella could support such oppression but Masella wonders how Judah cannot see that the future belongs to Rome. Well, the tensions turn to bitterness when Ben-Hur uh, refuses to be an informant for his friend Masella against the Jewish zealots. And the breaking point comes when Ben-Hur is standing on the uh, roof of, uh, of his house and uh, the governor rides by and as he leans forward, a tile comes loose, falls, lands near the governor, spooking his horse and throwing him off. Well, for that, he's arrested. And even though Masella knows the truth of what happened, he sends them off to be a slave in a galley ship. Well, while engaged in a sea battle uh, in which Ben-Hur was chained as an oarsman, uh, the boat sunk and he managed to escape. But when he does, he also rescues and saves the life of the commander of the fleet, a man named Quintus Arias. 
Now, Arius believes that he had lost the battle, so he's ready to kill himself with his sword, but Judah Ben-Hur stops him. Well, Arius was wrong. The Romans had actually been victorious, so in gratitude for saving his life, he adopts Ben-Hur as his son and his heir. Now, no longer a slave, Judah is a Roman of rank. Soon he finds himself doing the chariot races, and eventually he goes up against his old friend, Marcellus, who's now his enemy. Now, the chariot race alone is worth watching the movie. Great color, great action, great drama. The producers went all out for the scene. Now, according to Wikipedia, it says planning for the chariot races took nearly a year to complete. 78 horses were brought in, imported from Yugoslavia and Sicily, and exercised into peak physical condition. 18 chariots were built, each weighing 900 pounds. The actors spent three hours a day on learning how to race in the chariots. The movie was filmed in Italy during a time of economic recession, so it was not difficult for MGM to find locals to work in it. The budget called for more than 100,000 costumes, 1,000 suits of armor. They hired 10,000 extras and used hundreds of camels and donkeys and horses and sheep. The main costumer designed at a staff that they overseed of 100 fabricators. Silk was imported from Thailand, armor from West Germany. Leather goods were hand-tooled in the United Kingdom, while the shoes were all made in Italy, of course. The lace costumes came from France, and the costume jewelry was, uh, jewelry was purchased in Switzerland. More than 400 pounds of hair was donated by women in Piedmont region of Italy to make wigs for the production. And there were 200 artists and workmen providing the friezes and the statues that were necessary. Now, when you add to that the actors, the cameramen, the editors, and the advertisers, you realize that there is a lot of people that go into a production of this type. The bigger the production, the more people that are involved. Well, the part played by some, like the actors, are big and upfront, but others, like seamstress, are in behind the scenes in smaller roles. But you know, that's the way it is with the kingdom of God. Why don't you think about it? The kingdom of God is a big production. Indeed, it's the biggest production ever. God himself is the producer. He's the one who directs it. Jesus Christ is the main star. But throughout history, the history of the church, there's always been supporting actors in this drama, and millions and millions of people have worked quietly behind the scenes to make this production a success. Well, here in the last chapter of Romans, Paul, in a sense, runs the credits for those in the church in Rome who he knows have loved the Lord and been co-workers for Christ. And while, for the most part, there are only one or two things said about each of them, they all played an important part in getting the gospel out in the city of Rome. So today, as we go through this list, we want to consider the parts that these people played and also the part that we can play in the church to bring the gospel to the world. So why don't we pray and get into the text. Father God, we do pray for grace and mercy. Help us as we look at this to see our part that we can play individually and as a church in this grand drama of redemption. So bless us now, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last week we looked at uh, the woman Phoebe, uh, who held a position of deaconess in the church of Censoria. Uh, this week we want to go through the rest of the list where Paul gives uh, um, commendations and greetings to those uh, who he had known and worked for the Lord. And I think the easiest way to do this is just to go verse by verse, listing out the names and the things that we learn from them. So the first one we're looking at, is, he says this, Greet Prisca, that's also Priscilla, it's a shortened form, and Aquila. He says, Greet Pris- Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who for, the, uh, for the, who for my life risk their own necks, to whom not only I give thanks, but also the churches and the Gentiles. Let me ask you a question, who's your oldest friend? 
I don't mean age-wise, but who's been your friend the longest? Or who would you say is your dearest friend? My older brother, Dan, when he was five years old, his best friend was the neighbor boy, Scott. Fifty-five years later, Scott is still Dan's best friend. What do they say about friends? New friends are like silver and old friends are like gold. Joseph Perry wrote a poem about it. It goes like this. Make new friends, but keep the old. Those are silver, these are gold. New-made friendships, like new wine, will age and mellow and refine. Friendships that have stood the test, time and change, are surely best. Brow may wrinkle, hair gray, grow gray, friendships never, no decay. For mid-old friends, tried and true, once more we, our youth, renew. But old friends, alas, may die. New friends must their place supply. Cherish friendship in your breast. New is good, but old is best. Make new friends, but keep the old. Those are silver, but these are gold. Now, I don't know if Aquila and Priscilla were uh, Paul's oldest friends, but they're certainly among his dearest. He met them first in the city of Corinth. They had been kicked out of Rome when the emperor uh, Claudius demanded that all the Jews leave Rome. And they moved to Corinth, and there they met Paul when he came through to preach the gospel. And because they were tent makers like Paul, he lived with them for a year and a half, doing that kind of work, supporting himself. You ever heard that phrase, band of brothers? There's a television series by that name, isn't there? It actually comes from Shakespeare's play, Henry V. It says this, We few, we happy few, we band of brothers. For he today who sheds his blood with me shall be my brother. Now, Aquila and Priscilla had not shed their blood with Paul, but he does tell us that they risked their life for him. We don't know how or why, but Paul never forgot it. You know, when my oldest daughter got married at the reception, I was sitting at the table eating with my wife and my mother-in-law and my mom and my dad, and as we were eating, my dad began to choke on some food. And then he began to turn blue. So I ran up behind quick and did the Heimlich and and it was fine. Then I turned to everybody. I said, okay, folks, there's nothing to see here. Let's just go back to eating and, and all that. It was about two months later. I was at my mom and dad's house. And uh, my dad was eating something or another. We're sitting at the table. And all this, he didn't even look up. He just said, oh, by the way, Doug, thanks for saving my life. No problem, dad. Anytime, anytime. <laughs> well, you don't forget someone saves your life. And Paul didn't forget it. And it's not just that Paul was thankful for these people. He said that also all the churches of the Gentiles, they had been a blessing to many people. He said, also greet the people are the church that meets in their house. They open their house for Paul to live with them for a year and a half, but they also open their house for the church to meet there. We've had to do that before, haven't we? This last couple of years for COVID, we've been at several different places. It's still done in places like China and Iran, other places where you're not allowed to meet openly. The next one he greets is uh, Eponidas. This is my beloved, who is my first convert in Christ from Asia. You know, I don't know if your parents told you often that they loved you or not. But Paul had no problem telling those in the family of God that he loved them as brothers and sisters in Christ. Eponidas had a special place in Paul's heart because he was the first one he had led to the Lord in Asia, Asia being Asia Minor. And you know, I have to say that there's, there's a spiritual bond between all Christians, genuine Christians, so that you meet somebody for the first time if they're a believer, you just connect with them. But there's a special bond between those who lead others to Christ and the one being led to Christ. I remember the first person I ever led to Christ. She came from a, a Catholic background. 
She thought that I was crazy. I'd lost my mind. I'd been going out with her before we actually, uh, I actually got saved. But I would say she has the special place in my heart of all the people I've led to the Lord. And of course, 40 years of marriage will add to that, won't it? Well, Paul goes on to say this. He says, greet Mary who worked hard for you. Uh, for you. Now, how many Marys are listed in the Bible, do you know? Quite, <laughs> quite a few. Uh, Mary, the mother of Jesus. Mary Magdalene, the one who had seven demons in her that Jesus cast out. Mary, the mother of James, the less, that's one of the other disciples, and Joseph. She was the other Mary who went to the tomb on Easter morning with Mary Magdalene. Jesus' aunt Salome was there, who was a mother of James and John. I mean, it gets confusing when you have so many names that are the same. I worked at a restaurant one time for a while that had four Debbies and five Sues working there. And sometimes almost all of them were working together. At another, every Friday and Saturday night, I would work with two other cooks, uh, Doug and Doug. <laughs> and all the waitresses who came to work that night knew they were going to be dealing with a three-dog night. <laughs> Have you guys ever noticed that puns, no matter how good they are, are terrible? <laughs> I worked at another, another place where I had two cooks working for me. One, one's name was Scott Lagason. The other one's name was Scott Lagergren. I worked at the dairy. There were two women there named Teresa Hall. Now, we don't know anything about this Mary other than what Paul says here, and he says that she worked hard. I'm not sure others in the church knew that, but even if they didn't, Paul did, and more importantly, God did. Some young girls were talking by the brook, boasting of their beautiful hands. One of them dipped her hands in sparkling water, and the drops looked like diamonds falling from her palms. See what beautiful hands I have? The water runs from them like precious jewels, she said, and held up her hands for the others to admire. They were very soft and white, for she had never done anything but wash her hands in clear water. Another one ran to get some strawberries and crush them in her palms. The juice ran through her fingers like wine from a wine press until her fingers were pink as the sunrise in the early morning. See what beautiful hands I have. The strawberry juice runs over them like wine as she held up her hands for the others to admire. They were very pink and soft, for she had never done anything but wash them in strawberry juice every morning. Another one gathered some violets and crushed the flowers in her hands until they smelled like perfume. See what beautiful hands I have. They smell like violets of the deep woods in the springtime, she said. And she held up her hands for the others to admire. They were very soft and white, for she had done nothing other than wash them in violets every morning. Fourth girl did not show her hands. She just kept them in her lap. Then an old woman came down the road. All the girls showed her, their hands to her and asked, which do you think has the most beautiful hands? She shook her head at each of them and she asked to see the last girl's hands who held them in her lap. The last girl raised them timidly for the old woman to see. Oh, these are clean hands indeed, said the old woman. But they're also hard from toil. These hands have helped mother and father dry dishes, sweep the floor, wash the windows, Weed the garden. These hands have been taking care of the baby and carrying hot tea to grandma and showing little brother how to build his blocks and fly his kite. Yes, these hands have been busy making a house happy, a happy home full of love and care. The old woman fumbled into her pocket, brought out a ring set with diamonds, rubies, redder than strawberries, and turquoise bluer than violets. Here, wear this ring, my child. You deserve the prize for the most beautiful hands. For your hands have been the most helpful. And then the old woman vanished, leaving the four girls sitting by the brook. 
I'm sure that Mary had beautiful hands. Greet Andronicus and Junius, my kinsmen, my fellow prisoners who are outstanding among the apostles, who also were in Christ before me. Now, this is probably another married couple. Paul and Aquila, or uh, Paul had Aquila and Priscilla as housemates, but he had Andronicus and Junius as cellmates. He had been in jail with them. The three had been in prison for the cause of Christ. What was it that Benjamin Franklin said, you know, when they signed the Declaration of Independence? He said, if we do not, if we, do, we must indeed hang together or we will assuredly hang separately. Well, these two veteran Christians were probably an older couple. They'd become believers even before Paul had, and he refers to them as his kinsmen, so they were Jews. They might even be, uh, have come to faith through the ministry of Jesus himself. And they had a stellar record of Christian service, and they were held in high esteem, even among the apostles. Greet M. Pleiotis, my beloved in the Lord. The only thing we know about this guy is that Paul loved him. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and Stachus, my beloved. I knew a man named Urban, U-R-B-A-N. He was the father of a woman in the church I pastored. Uh, Urban had married another, uh, had married a woman named Margaret. And this woman married Urban thinking that he was a believer, but it turned out in a short time that she found he was no believer at all. As a matter of fact, she, or he mocked her faith for many years and would ridicule her about it. Well, one time when I was preaching, I was preaching on the wrath of God, and I mentioned that a lot of times we'll tell people they need the gospel, they need Jesus, but we don't tell them why they need Jesus. It's not just to get a better life, it's to save us from the wrath of God. I said, often we witness to people and we never even tell them about hell. And she was convicted by this. She said, you know what? I don't think I ever, in all the time I witnessed to my husband and tried to talk to him, did that. So by this time, he had Alzheimer's and it was progressing. And so he was living in a home by himself. But he would call her occasionally. And he was a hypochondriac. He'd complain about absolutely everything. His health all the time. I'm dying, I'm dying. Well, by this time he did have cancer, so he had some serious issues. But when he was talking to Margaret, he said, he started in again about his health and all this and that. And Margaret said to him, you know, Urban, if you die, you're going to hell because you've never trusted Jesus. He got so angry, he slammed down the phone, did not call her, would not talk to her for two weeks. Two weeks later, he calls up and says, Margaret, I don't want to go to hell. What do I have to do? And she explained it, how Jesus died on the cross for sinners to pay for their sins, and Urban, even after all these years of rejecting Christ, if you had now turned to him, he would receive you. Well, he did get saved. I went in to visit him in the nursing home. And when I was there, I was waiting to go in, and a couple of nurses came out, and I heard them talking. They said, I don't know what they did with that guy. They must have changed his medication or something because he used to be grumpy all the time. And So, I, you know, I, I'm, it's, that's a good thing. The kids all had to go in and talk to him one at a time because they just couldn't believe that dad had gotten saved. Fast forward two months later, he dies. And she told me afterwards, she said, Pastor Doug, I put up with mocking and resistance and criticism for 60 years. But that two months I had with him, saved, made up for all 60 years of it. And then she said this, tell those young ladies in church who are married to non-Christian guys, don't give up praying. Don't give up praying. Well, greet Apelles, the approved of the Lord, 
The word for approved here means something that's been tested and found worthy. I remember when I was a kid, they used to have this TV ad for um, some kind of motor oil that was used in New York cabs. And they said, it's taxi tested tough. Remember that one? Spiritually speaking, that's what a pellis was. Now, many people start the Christian life only to give it up later. Not him. He continued. James 1.12 says this, Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Greet those who are of the household of Aristobulus. Now there's a man named Aristobulus who is a grandson of Herod the Great. And it's likely that this is the man who was. In Luke 8 verse 3, we're told of a woman who financially helped support Jesus and his disciples, a woman named Joanna, uh, the wife of Shusa, who was Herod's steward. She was one of the women who was also there at the empty tomb when Jesus rose on Easter morning. Now, since her husband worked for Herod, it's very likely she knew and interacted with the family at times. Was she the one who brought the gospel to the family of Herod? And by the way, talk about a messed up family. My goodness, these people were a cross between the Kennedys and the Gambino Mafia family. Herod killed his wife. Herod murdered two of his sons. Herod was the one who killed the babies in Bethlehem. That was a messed up family if ever there was one. So one of the things that comes out of that is don't think that anyone is beyond the possibility of getting saved. God isn't looking to make good men better. He's looking to make dead men live. And all of us come into this world spiritually dead on arrival. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even while we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace we've been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the ages to come he might show us the surpassing riches of his grace and his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 2, 4-7. What he's telling us is that for all eternity God's going to think of new ways to thrill his people. And if he's an infinite God, he'll never run out. He says, Greet Herodian, my kinsman, another Jew. Greet those who are of the household of Narcissus, who are with the, uh, in the Lord. Now, it's very likely that this Herodian was also connected to the household of, of Herod. And so we shouldn't underestimate the power of the gospel to reach people in high places. I mean, Paul said in 1 Corinthians one twenty six that among those God has called, there's, there's not many who are wise, according to the flesh, not many who are mighty, not many who are noble, but there are some. President Biden, he has a son, or a you know, Hunter, that guy, his life is an absolute mess. He's a drug addict, he's a prostitute user, he's involved in corruption and all that, and I have been praying for him for the last year that God would save him just to bug people. <laughs> Macmillan Publishing has been around for years. The family has old money, as they would call it. I saw one of the heirs of the fortune give his testimony on how he came to Christ. In one part of the interview, though, he kind of rebuked the people who were watching He said, because you know what? Almost nobody ever thinks to pray for the rich and the powerful. I made it a habit a number of years ago to pick out certain actors and actresses and start praying for them regularly. He says, greet Trophina Trophina and Trophosa, workers in the Lord. Now, it's probable that these are, they're women's names. It's probable that they're sisters. They most likely were twins. You know, it's not uncommon for parents to give twins names that sound close. I knew a set whose names were Diane and Deanne. Another set was Devon and Deanne. My wife knew a Jill and a Joy, and I think there's someone connected to our church, a Tori and a Tara. Now, you've heard the phrase Siamese twins. The reason conjoined twins used to be called that was because of a famous pair of twins, Chang and Eng, 
were born in America, but their parents were from Siam, which would be modern-day Thailand. By the way, do you know what their last name was? Bunker. <laughs> well, we don't know who these sisters were, whether they're young or old, but either way, they were workers in the Lord. They were the roll-up-your-sleeves-and-get-to-work type of women. And one of the things I have to say, I'm thankful for the women in our church who are like them. Women that I can count on, if we ask them to get something done, get it done without complaint and without squabbling. He says, greet Persis, the beloved who has worked hard in the Lord. Now notice this man had a history of working hard, but evidently it's in the past, or at least most of it. Perhaps now he's older. I mean, if you're 84 years old, you're not going to be able to do the things that you did when you were 34, but you can still pray and encourage people. You can still give an example. One old man prayed, said this, Lord, let me continue to wage war against evil and fight against the devil. And even when I lose my strength and lose my sight, and lose my hearing, let me keep battling. And when I lose my teeth, let me at least give the devil a good gummon. <laughs> well, you may retire from your job, but listen carefully, if you're a Christian, you never retire from Christian service. Greet Rufus, a choice man of the Lord, his mother and mine. Now, there's only two places in the Bible where the name Rufus appears. One is here, and the other one's in Mark 15:21. In that passage, Jesus is being led off to be crucified, and we find that a man, it says, they pressed into service a passerby coming from the country, Simon of Cyrene, that'd be North Africa, the father of Alexander and Rufus, and they made him carry his cross. Now, it's likely that Simon was on a religious pilgrimage in Jerusalem at the time of the Passover, and he just happened to be walking by when he saw Jesus carrying his cross. And someone stopped and said, hey, you, you, come here, carry that man's cross, which he did. Now, do you suppose if he carried the cross for Jesus to the place of crucifixion, he would have stuck around to see what happened? I would guess. And when he was watching, he would have seen the whole land go dark from 9 o'clock till noon. He would have seen the religious leaders mocking Jesus as he was hanging there, other people crying. He would have seen Jesus turn and pronounce a blessing upon a man next to him, telling him he would be with him in paradise on that day. And then he would have heard Jesus cry out in a loud voice, It is finished, dismiss his spirit, and then a massive earthquake happened at that moment. And I'm sure he heard the Roman centurion say, Surely this man was the Son of God. Do you think it left an impression? I mean, what would he have made of that? Well, if he had been there a couple weeks later, what he would have found is that Peter was in Jerusalem preaching, explaining these events and what they meant. Did Simon believe in Christ? It seems likely. Mark identifies him as the father of Rufus and Alexander, but that only makes sense if they know, the readers know who Rufus and Alexander are when he mentions that. And most of the commentators and scholars believe that Mark was written to a Roman audience, probably to the church at Rome, which means he would be the one. By the way, some of you, yeah, I got ancestors, my ancestor was, came over on the Mayflower, my ancestor swam over, you know, we all have our relatives. My brother Jeff, his, his teacher, his uh, elementary teacher was a direct descendant of um, Ulysses S. Grant. And there's a lady in town, the dentist's wife. She is a direct descendant of Sacagawea. Hmm. But how many people could say, you know, my dad's the one who carried Jesus' cross when he fell. It says, greet Asacritus, Phlegon, Hermas, Patrobus, Hermes, the brethren with him, greet Philagos 
Julius, Nerus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints are with him. We don't know hardly anything about these people. But what we know about these people in the list, this whole list, is that some were poor, some were rich, some were slaves, some were free, some were old, some were young, some were men, some were women. But what united all of them was that they had been saved by the grace of God through faith in Christ, and they loved Jesus, and they wanted to serve him. World War II. American bomber was making a raid over a German city. This was towards the end of the war. It was hit by anti-aircraft fire. Uh, some shells lodged in the bottom of the plane, but they didn't explode. So after they landed, wondering why that was the case, they opened up one of the explosives, and in the compartment where they should have found uh, the material, they found a little note written in check that said this, we're doing what we can. Being forced to make armaments for the Germans, they sabotaged them by not putting explosives in. Let me ask you a question, if you're a Christian. Are you doing what you can for Christ? Are you spending your life energies serving him in whatever way you can? Are you witnessing to family members? Last week, when in the building there, remember when I did the pastoral prayer, I said, and the Lord... Give me an opportunity to witness to some relatives. Jeff and I have a, a family get-together this afternoon. My cousin was there. Remember I told you about my cousin the week before? I was at a graduation, and uh, she took offense with something I said. Remember I told you that? Okay. Well, the sister, the one who said, let's not argue, she was invited to this, too. And somewhere along the line, we were talking, and I don't even know how it happened. We just slid right into it, and I spent an hour and 20 minutes giving my cousin the gospel. You have to take the opportunities. I mean, if you're a teacher, are you diligent in preparing your lesson? Praying for your students? Do you give sacrificially? Many of people in our church do. Do you look around for ways to, to be a blessing to others? For most people, including many in the church, our lives are so wrapped up with our own concerns, our jobs, families, and hobbies, that we never get around to serving the Lord in any significant way. Paul held up Timothy as a fine example compared to many others when he said this, For I have no one else of kindred spirit who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. Listen to this. For all these others seek their own interests and not those of Christ Jesus. You know, when I was sitting with my cousin, she's asking, now, who's that one? Who's this one? Who's that one? Because, you know, you know how that goes. When you, you grow up, you know your own cousins. But then you get older and you start having your kids and your grandkids and your kids don't know your cousins. You say, you know so-and-so. Mm, I don't know who that is. Right? So she's my age, a little bit older, and she's looking around at all the kids running around and explaining who all they are. And all of a sudden she said, you know, we used to run around like that. Where's the time going? It's going away quickly, isn't it? When I was a kid, my parents were not Christians, though we went to church. I'd get up to go to school in the morning. When I get out of the shower, there was this little plaque on the wall. I pictured Jesus, and it said this: "One life, twill soon be past. Only what's done for Christ will last." The building up of Christ's church and the spread of His kingdom is an epic production with thousands, yea, millions, who have played a part. You know, most people. When the movie's over at the theater, 
you get up as soon as the story's done. Very few people sit to watch the credits, do they? And yet every one of those names on there had something to do with what you've just enjoyed. Now, Paul wanted to make sure that the credits were run at the end of this book. And even if he missed people, we know that Jesus doesn't. And Jesus said, if you give so much as a cup of cold water to someone because they're one of my disciples, I promise I will reward you on that day. One of the very last things found in the Bible, in the book of Revelation, is Jesus saying this, Behold, I come quickly, my reward is with me to render to every man according to his deeds. Not one of you, on judgment day, should you trust in Christ and find eternal life, is going to say, well, Pastor Doug, I wish you wouldn't have pushed me so hard. I wish you would have taken an approach like other churches where they just, you know, go there, kind of sit through, and everyone does their own thing, and nobody gets riled. The only thing you'll say is, you know, you should have pushed me a little harder, Doug. Because I didn't know it was going to be this good. Jesus plans on rewarding everyone who's done something for him. Jesus said, those who serve me, my Father will honor them. Is that the way you want to be at the end? Honored by God because you served his son? And then when you do, cast your crowns back at his feet because you know anything you did was just by his grace. So he gets all the credit and the glory and the honor. Amen. Let's pray. Father and God, we know that you sent your spirit not only to change the hearts of your people, not only to give us eternal life by renewing our spirit so that we would trust in Christ, but you sent him that your son would be glorified. And so we are never more in step with your spirit than when we are seeking to glorify Jesus in our life as well. Father, that's what we want to do. There are people who are sitting here today, Lord, for whom this is just talk. They are still not born again. They have never trusted in your Son. They have never found eternal life that comes through faith in Christ's death as the payment for our sins. Father, I pray that you would work on their hearts. I pray that you would not let them sleep at night until they come to grips with where they're at so that they would find eternal life in Jesus and all the joy that comes with it. And Father, for those of us who do know you and have found this eternal life in your Son, help us to be uh, happy heralds who give this message to anyone we can so that they also may join us in rejoicing in Jesus. So bless us now to that end, we ask in Christ's name. Amen.